Chapter 16 A Mirror Reflecting Time Gertrude parked her pristine white horse 930V Phaeton Convertible on Smetna Key. From the way she described this to me, she must have looked like the cover image of one of those magazines that promote an affluent lifestyle. She had a big smile on her face, and it must have seemed as if there were not a single thought going on inside her head. Though this all faded when she heard something that sounded like a gunshot echoing in the distance. It further caused her to grip the steering wheel as she recalled a similar sound. A sound she didn't want to recall. Quickly this became intolerable, and she forced her hands to release the wheel. She also forced the smile back in her face in defiance of herself, and she jumped out of her car and raced across the street to the riverbank. There by the railing she gazed northward, not just at the docks and the boats making their way upstream, but also at something she could only see in her mind, something that was tugging her forward. Resisting this, she turned in the opposite direction, and began waltzing down the river bank. Knowing her as I do, I bet she looked as if she owned the whole damn city as she chugged the cool air blowing off the roaring water beside her. She pretended, too, that she really was the happy and carefree woman she was projecting, and that she could control her emotions and all the hate rising from them, and not let them control her. But she couldn't do this for long, and it had nothing to do with her. It was because of the bench she was approaching, where sat a woman she knew all too well. This woman was a little older than her and both unkempt and filthy, and she had a yellow shawl over her head and shoulders. She was a little smaller than Gertrude, too, with jet black hair and eyes of the same color. With the latter, she was staring into the river without any signs of life. They barely blinked. I bet she also had a look of quiet desperation, the same look I've seen in others like her over the years. It's how we recognize each other, even when we're not filthy and unkempt. Despite the obvious differences between the women, Gertrude saw someone who was all too much like her. Looking at her was like looking into a mirror that reflected time, and it made her doubt whether she really could control the feelings that were always looking for a reason to explode. The similarity between the women wasn't something Gertrude only noticed that morning. She noticed it whenever she ran into her, which happened far more often than what any standard deviation of coincidence could allow. Their meeting happened so often that Gertrude wondered if their fates were somehow entwined. Still, as she approached the woman, she wanted to walk right past her with the barest of acknowledgement, as she had important things to do that morning and didn't want anything to distract her from them. But she couldn't quite convince herself to do this. Instead, she strode up to the woman and stopped. How are you this morning, she murmured, though she knew from experience that she wasn't likely to get an answer. The woman didn't disappoint her. Not only didn't she say anything in reply, but she acted as if she hadn't heard a thing. 
Did you sleep well? Gertrude asked. Or at all? Again, the woman neither spoke nor reacted. What happened to the blanket I gave you? Was the next question Gertrude didn't expect an answer to. When she didn't get one, she gently took hold of the woman's shoulder and whispered, What am I going to do with you, Clara? Clara didn't answer, but she at least looked at Gertrude, who could see a speck of hope in the woman's eyes, or at least the wanting of it. This led Gertrude to say, My offer from yesterday still stands. You could think of it as a favor to me, which would be true. You have no idea how. Clara didn't exactly reply to this, but Gertrude could see some acquiescence in her eyes. Jumping at this, Gertrude nodded toward the building across the street and pointed out, There's someone I need to speak with for just a few minutes inside the cafe. But right afterward, I'm coming back for you. Will you promise me you'll wait? Clara didn't answer, but her expression remained the same, and Gertrude took this for a yes. Quickly, she backed her way across the street, and she rushed inside Café Slavia while again pretending she was in control of herself. There she saw someone. He was a tall and well-built balding man a little younger than her, who was sitting at a table in the middle of what was, and still is, a narrow and long hall. The man saw Gertrude at the same time, and he rose to his feet and grinned as she strutted toward him with one of her smiles, which remained on her face as the two kissed each other's cheeks and sat across from one another. I'd order you a cup, he mentioned as he lifted his own, with a voice that seemed to come from a man much smaller than him, but it took a half hour to get mine, and I'm a regular here. Why do you keep coming back to this place, she grumbled. The service is terrible. It's always been terrible. It'll be terrible a hundred years from now. I love the view, he contended while nodding toward the river bank. Honestly, I don't know what I'd do without it. Even the idea of this frightens me. Gertrude smirked a bit at this and commented, Tonda, you've been a very naughty boy. Whatever do you mean, he asked while feigning innocence. I haven't seen or heard from you in weeks, she explained, and you know how I don't like that. It couldn't be avoided, my dear, he insisted. It's been a hectic few weeks. Lots of craziness happening in Yosefov right now, all over the place there. My duties have me coming and going at all hours of the night. I've barely slept since the last time we met. Molly, you scoundrel, bellowed a male voice from nearby. The two turned toward this and saw a grinning man holding out his hand to Tunda. Good to see you, Tunda said as he shook the man's hand with his own grin. How is it that you haven't been arrested, the man asked, with his glee unrestrained. Perhaps they haven't gotten around to it yet, Tunda replied causing all three to laugh before the man walked off. So, Gertrude continued once the man was out of earshot, business is good, I presume. Better than good, Tonda informed her, and it's only going to get better, early next week, in fact. Is this that big deal you've been alluding to for so long, she inquired. 
It is indeed, my dear, he answered, and it's all but complete. Me and my associate are just waiting on a little something so we could pack up the goods. Associate, she uttered with surprise. What associate? Lujak, he uttered back. You've never mentioned such a man before, Gertrude asserted with alarm. Who is he? Someone I've worked with for years, Tunda insisted. I even knew his father a bit before they sent him away for embezzlement. A fine man otherwise, whom I trust with my life, or at least someone else's. I sure hope you can trust his son, murmured Gertrude with a slow shake of her head. I'm telling you I can, my dear, Tonda maintained. It's all downhill from here. The hard part is over. See, she exclaimed, and you were worried the deal would fall through. You were right, he exclaimed back, just like you always are. There wasn't the slightest hitch. You sound surprised, she remarked. Not surprised, he yelped, astonished. Frankly, I was certain this would be the death of me. I even made out my will. Don't talk like that, she told them with just a touch of admonishment. I've got enough to worry about. Like what, he asked. Like Klaus, she answered after glancing around the almost empty cafe. He's been acting awfully strange of late, and it's making me awfully suspicious. You don't think he's up to something unkosher, so to speak, Tonda gasped. I don't know what he's up to, groaned Gertrude. The man's impenetrable. But speaking of unkosher, I saw something terribly odd this morning, to say the least. Saw what? Tonda muttered. Again, Gertrude looked around the cafe before leaning toward Tonda and whispering, I saw him with a Jew. A Jew, Tonda whispered back with an abundance of shock. There are still Jews in Prague? Apparently, she stated, while not quite believing it herself. Klaus gave me some nonsense about how they were old friends. Who do you think he is? questioned Tonda. I don't know, Gertrude replied, but he looked as if he had just come from one of the camps. Despite this, the two appeared almost congenial. They were about to take a car ride together as if this were the most normal of things. Someone might have thought they were colleagues or something. Do you think this Jew is some kind of collaborator, was Tonda's next question. I don't know, Gertrude again said, but I'm going to find out. Trust me. Maybe I should delay my deal, Tonda uttered just in case you have a problem of some sort that you need help with. Another week probably won't make a difference. But it could, she told him. You've been working on this deal for so long, Tonda. I'd hate to see it fall apart at the end. It would pain me greatly. If anything, you should probably hasten the deal. Hasten it, he quietly cried out. Hasten it by how much? By how much could you hasten it? Gertrude questioned, while again leaning forward. I could even get it done tomorrow if necessary, Tunda conjectured, while leaning forward himself, or the day after tomorrow at the latest. Believe me, my partners would love nothing more than to hasten it. They seem quite anxious to get the deal done. 
It seems, then, that you have nothing to lose by hastening it, she noted after sitting back in her chair. Only a little something, he noted back with a smile, before patting his jacket pocket and adding, and I have my will with me at all times.